in the natural, it's over. They can't produce. And this faced him every day. But the father of our faith said, I'm still going to keep on hoping. Because my God is not dependent on the natural circumstances of life. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Today we're starting a brand new message I'm calling, There's a Pony in Here Somewhere. You know the Bible promises us Christians that God will work all things together for our good. But so often we lose sight of that promise and get bogged down in rough circumstances and bitter disappointments. Today I want to talk to you about how, no matter what you're going through or how hard the road is, God really is fashioning and preparing a blessing for you. I'm Jeff Wickwire and thanks for joining us. So let's go right to the message I've called, There's a Pony in Here Somewhere. Let's be honest. Believers have dark days, dark hours, difficult trials, fiery ovens, deep valleys. He said even though there's dark clouds in your life and it seems to be very, very bleak out there and all that can go wrong goes wrong. God is still working out His plan. God is still at work, working out His plan. For God is able to make all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So no matter what's going on in your life, I'm going to say it again, God is still working out His plan. God's got a plan. And it's a marvelous plan, a powerful plan, a beautiful plan and one that we could never have come up with on our own. Now, in the context here, Habakkuk and the children of Israel were surrounded by trouble. Uh, The legal system of Judah had completely disintegrated and collapsed. Uh, Her citizens were being treated violently. Judah was on the downturn. Judgment was at the door. The Babylonians were marching toward them. It, It would be as if we woke up today and turned on the news and And we were told on the news that the Russians were marching our way with ill intent. And that's what they woke up to. They woke up to this. The Babylonians were coming, and they were fearsome, frightening, scary. They were cruel, torturous. And they were marching their way. And they didn't have anything good in mind for them. This is Judah, and this is because of Judah's backsliding. So Judah was in a backslidden state with an enemy coming her way an evil foreign power, and it was tough times. So Habakkuk speaks this word, the vision is yet for an appointed time. Don't give up on your calling God. Don't let your destiny go. At the end it will speak and it will not lie. Don't think that just because you're in troubled times, God has forgotten His promise. He has not. You children of Israel, I want you to be encouraged. You children of Judah, I want you to take heart. Now, I want you to hold that thought a moment. Let me tell you the story of two brothers. Once there were two young brothers. One was a pessimist and the other was an optimist. Nothing 
could satisfy the pessimist. Yet the optimist was irretrievably, unstoppably, inexorably positive. Somehow he found good in everything. How many of you know somebody that way? How many of you wish it were that way? Okay. Now, as you can imagine, the pessimist gave his parents fits because they couldn't make him happy. Nothing they did made this boy happy. So they decided, listen, there's got to be something that will finally put a smile on his face. So they really essentially built him his own private Disney world in his room, uh, filled his room with the, the best toys, full-size, arcade-sized video games lined the wall, bicycles, remote control trains, skateboards, giant screen televisions, and high-tech sound systems with endless music CDs adorned every square inch of this pessimist private sanctuary. But he was still miserable. What to do? But inexplicably, the optimist was the total opposite. He didn't need a thing to wear a smile. Ever-present skip in his step, gleam in his eye, ready laughter were his identifying trademarks, this optimist. Now, how in the world could these two boys be so different having come from the same parents? What was the deal here? What drove one to see the proverbial cup half empty all the time, and the other one saw it half full all the time. What in the world went wrong here? The parents were completely stumped, unable to squeeze one thimble full of positive attitude out of the pessimist. They wondered if, conversely, they could somehow break the optimist. If he could somehow be deterred from his boundless enthusiasm, then maybe they could at least understand how he got that way, or maybe they could learn his secret and transfer the secret to their hapless, pessimistic son. So the parents decided to try an experiment. They removed all of the optimist toys out of his room. Get ready now. They filled half of his room with nothing but horse manure. Yes, you heard that in church. Nothing but horse manure handed him a shovel and shut the door. Surely, they thought, he's going to emerge with a very negative attitude. What could he possibly do with horse manure and a shovel? Minutes stretched to hours without a sound. What in the world was taking so long? They were sitting outside the door wondering, what's going on with this kid? Is he in the middle of the room crying? Is he about to have a breakdown? Why didn't he come out and say something to us, complain about the way his room was? And surely he can't make something positive out of this. And finally, unable to stand the suspense any longer, the parents approached the room, slowly turned the doorknob, and peeked inside. And what did they see? The little optimist with his shovel was shoveling that manure from one side of the room to the other as fast as he could go, smiling and whistling, praising God. Totally taken back, the father blurted, what are you doing shoveling this manure from one side of the room to the other? The boy smiled and replied, there's a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> you get that? Now, I really like this little guy. I do. Because, listen, he teaches me a lot about us and our walk with God. Now, listen carefully to me because this will give you something to take home and put in your pocket and use tomorrow morning. Are you ready? This little boy could never have been optimistic like he was if he had not believed two crucial things. 
He had to believe two crucial things, or he would never have been optimistic. What did he have to believe? First, he had to believe that his parents were inherently good. He had to. Or why would he expect to find a pony in manure? Something good in the midst of something bad. So he had to believe, my parents are good. They are inherently good. Now, folks, I've told you all the time, it matters so much what you believe about God. There's people that believe that God is just mean and bad, furrowed brows, steam coming out of his ears, long face, just waiting for you and me to make a mistake so he can stomp on us and condemn us and judge us. Because after all, he's just mad at us all the time. If you believe that about God, you may be saved, but you're going to have a miserable Christian life. And you know what? You're not going to have many prayers answered because you believe that God is not good. You believe God is mad. But I got news for you. If you're under the blood of Jesus, God is not mad. God is glad if you're under the blood of Jesus. Because he took all of his wrath and all of his anger and all of his judgment on Jesus, when Jesus hung on that cross, he took your sin and my sin and God poured the blame and the guilt and the condemnation on him. And that's why he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for just a brief period of time? God pulled back and Jesus was blamed and judged for our sins. I don't know how God did that. It's a mystery intellectually, but it's a fact. That's what he did. Jesus did not literally become a sinner, but he did become the sacrificed lamb. He took your sin and mine, and that's the only way your sin will ever be absolved, ever washed away, ever forgiven, is the blood of the lamb. You can't go try to make yourself right with God. You can't go to any God of your choosing. You can't go hug a tree and say, well, you know, I thank God and love his creation. Until you go to Jesus at the foot of the cross and allow the blood to cover you, then you are guilty before God and you will answer to God and you will die in your sins. And that's just the gospel truth. But see, when you come to him and the blood covers you, then the wrath of God, the anger of God is taken off of our life. And so God's not walking around mad at us, but it matters how you view God. How do you view God today? Is he out to get you? Is he out to stomp you? Is he out to judge you? Or is he out to get you blessed? Is he out to get you right? Is he out to get you healed? Is he out to get you delivered? So he had to believe that the parents were inherently good, and so do we. We've got to believe that our Heavenly Father is inherently good. Without an unbending belief that they intended good for him at all times, no matter how it looked, he would never have been optimistic and would never have looked for something positive in the presence of so much negative. He said, my parents are good, so there's got to be something good in here. Amen. Second, he had to believe that they were in charge of what came his way. He had to believe they were in control because it was their house and the room they'd given him. So he had to believe that no matter what it looked like in his room, which was in their house, that God was still in charge. If he hadn't have believed that, he would have been a worried mess, wringing his hands about how the world did all this manure get in my room, in my parents' house, where this comes, something is wrong, something is amiss, things are out of control, what am I going to do? But instead, I want you to say it with me. He believed 
that they were good. Say with me. He believed they were good. And he believed they were in charge. Now I want you to say with me, I believe God is good. And I believe God is in charge. And that he loves me and wants the best for me. He believed in their love for him and that they were in charge of what came his way. And therefore he could afford to be optimistic, positive, on top of things, upbeat. In our text, God was telling Habakkuk, yeah, there's an army coming your way, and yeah, you guys have messed up, and yeah, there's all kinds of, of issues and problems in your land, but stay with it, don't quit, don't despair. The vision is coming. God loves you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't walked out on you. He's still got a plan, and he's working out that plan, so lift up your heads and have hope. In other words, Habakkuk was telling them, there's a pony in here somewhere. I want us to try that out because you're going to do it several times today. Are you ready? Let me just start. No matter what you're going through, there's a pony. No matter what your kids are doing, no matter what your marriage looks like, y'all have got it good already. Now, the Bible is full of examples like this, but I want to bring out three men in the Bible who all went through different things and they believed that God was good and that God was in charge and that God loved them and that's what brought them through to the other side holding their pony in their arms. Okay? First one is Abraham, the father of our faith. Now I would be not telling you the full truth if I didn't tell you that if there were a couple of times in Abraham's life where he did faint. He fainted in his faith and messed up or kind of doubted God so he was not a perfect man. But Abraham primarily remained optimistic in the face of perplexing timing. Abraham's test was the timing of God, the timing of things. Because, you see, God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to give you this son, and this son is going to be the first of your descendants. And through your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed but for all the nations of the world to be blessed, it's got to begin with you having a son. No son, no blessing, no dream, no vision fulfilled, nothing. You've got to have a son. He's key to everything else. All right, when he received that, he was 75 years old. But God's timing proved to be perplexing. Months stretched into years, which stretched into decades. And that long time gap, folks, was the manure, as it were, that Abraham had to shovel through. That time gap, the time between God's promise and God's fulfillment, there was a long pause. And he had to believe God. He had to believe God during that time. He had to believe in the character of God. And here's what it comes down to. If you listen to the voice of the devil in your mind, he will always undermine and attack the character of God. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't answer prayer. He's not in your life. He's looking the other way. He's not dependable. The Bible's not true. You can go through all these things. He'll attack the character of God, which is exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. Oh, you don't understand, Eve. God's holding back from you. 
He doesn't want you to be wise like him. Attack, attack, attack. The only reason that Eve ate that forbidden fruit was because she began to doubt that God was good. So when we say around here God is good all the time, it's not just a little religious slogan. We really mean it. Because you win battles believing God is good. You really do. But that long time gap just began to work on him. Now, during this time, the father of our faith went through some very gut-wrenching experiences. He, he gave up his country, gave up his family, began walking in a direction, not even knowing where he was going. He was just going in the right direction. He just started walking. I trust God. I left my homeland behind, my family behind, and I'm going forward in the call of God And you know what? I'm doing it because I believe God is good and won't burn me. He parted ways with his nephew Lot. They had a tearing apart in their relationship. And Lot went towards Sodom to his own demise and left Abraham with his wife and some servants and cattle. But still there was a ripping apart of a relationship that really mattered to him during this waiting time. And here's most of all, throughout all these things, the barrenness of Sarah tested his faith daily. Barrenness is when something ought to live and it's not. Something ought to be and it's not. Barrenness is a daily letdown, a daily disappointment. And you can be barren in a lot of ways, not just with wanting a child. You can be barren financially. You can be barren in your marriage. You can be barren with friendships, relationships. You ought to have some friends and you don't. You ought to have some other key relationship in your life and it's suffering, it's not producing, it's not giving, it's barren. And he faced this barrenness. And what really made it difficult was he had a promise that she would have a child and yet daily barrenness stared him in the face. And he was getting old. He was approaching a hundred Sarah was almost 90. Can I just go ahead and say it? The thrill was gone. Well, these are real people. Their ability to reproduce, have children was gone. I want you to catch this. But Abraham, the father of our faith, remained optimistic in spite of God's perplexing timing. One of my favorite verses, Romans 4.18. Listen to this. I love this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Boy, I like that. He woke up every day and said, honey, how you feeling? Well, nope, not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. It's not happening. And every single day he looked, his physical eyes looked at why he should quit. Looked at why he should quit hoping. Because she's 90 now. He's 100 In the natural, it's over. They can't produce. And this faced him every day. But the father of our faith said, even though I have no natural reason to hope, I'm still going to keep on hoping. Because my God is not dependent on the natural circumstances of life. Faith, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And he said, I'm going to keep my eye on the promise of God not on the reasons why I should quit. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. I know I am. 
Because some of you are looking at an impossibility. You're looking at something that is dead. You are looking at barrenness, and the enemy is saying to you, why don't you just give up and quit and go home, pick up your marbles and go home and forget about it? Because clearly God is not answering you, and yet God has said to you in your heart, though it tarry, it shall come. Though it tarry, my vision will still come to pass. Don't give up. Don't give in. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing, believing that he would become the father of many nations. See, the impossibility was God's problem. So you know what he was saying to himself, essentially? Say it with me. There's a pony in here somewhere. Even though, boy, this doesn't look good, even though this doesn't look promising, even though this looks difficult, I believe that God's going to come through and I'm going to hold my pony. So I whistle while I shovel. So he remained optimistic in the presence of perplexing timing. But then there was Joseph. I can't read the story of Joseph without weeping at the end of it every time. Seriously. And I've read it through many times in my life. But every time I get to the end, I tear up. What a story. What a drama. This accurate historical account of the life of Joseph. He was... Jacob's son. There were 12 boys representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph was Rachel's son. And she only had two before she died. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel, but not Leah. Leah gave him 10 boys. Rachel gave him two. Joseph was one of the two. And he loved Joseph so much he gave him a coat of many colors, which represents the favor of the father, fatherly favor. And what Joseph found out real quick is when your father favors you and gives you a coat that testifies that he favors you, don't expect everybody to jump up and shout with you. That's where jealousy comes from when an anointing comes on your life or blessing comes on your life. Or some door opens to you, and it's a marvelous door, a wonderful door, and you go tell your friends, hey, guess what? The Father has given me a coat of many colors. I've been favored. Don't expect them to go, oh, praise God. No, the green-eyed monster jumps on more people than not. Really, he gave it to you and not me. Why you and not me? And that was the brother's. And, and Joseph didn't know any better than to tell his brothers his dream. Hey, guys, I had a dream, and I dreamed that all of you were bowing down to me. Can you believe that? And he thought they would say, oh, that's a heavy dream. Praise God. But inside they said, really? Well, let me tell you what we're thinking. We're going to kill you. That's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed the message and that you're encouraged that God is indeed working all things together for your good. Be sure to join me next time for the conclusion. I know it's going to be a blessing for you. And don't touch that dial just yet for some very important messages just for you. And I'll see you next time. program is entitled there's a pony in here somewhere you can get a copy of this message for just five dollars plus shipping log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll free at 877-884-3111 
Get your own copy of today's message for just $5 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire, and I am so excited to announce that Turning Point Church will be launching Reach Bible College and Seminary this November. Whether you've been in ministry for years or you're just getting started, Reach Bible College and Seminary will help you reach your goals. Our affordable bachelor and master degree programs are designed to incorporate practical ministry alongside a sound theological education. Why wait until you finish your education before starting your ministry? We're now enrolling for the winter trimester that begins November 28th. For more information, visit our website at www.reachdfw.org. That address again is www.reachdfw.org. You can also visit our information table before and after any of our weekly services at Turning Point Church. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.